reading from the second book of Samuel. David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. David and all the people with him set out and went from Valley Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who is enthroned on the cherubim. They carried the ark of God on the new cart and brought it out of the house of the Benabat, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Abiyah, the sons of the Benabat, were driving the new cart with the ark of God. And Abiyah went in front of the ark. David and all the house of Israel were dancing before the Lord with all their might, with songs and lyres and harps So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obadiah to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed an ox and a bat. David danced before the Lord with all his might. David was girded with linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Mabel, daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, which she despised in her heart. They brought in the ark and set it in its place inside the tent, which David, which David had paid for. And David offered burnt offerings and offerings of well-being for the Lord. When David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the offerings of the well-being, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed food on all the people, the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, to each a cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins. Then all the people went back to their homes. The word of the Lord.
salvation of the world, to be holy and blameless before him in love. He destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasures of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. And in him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and insight, he has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to gather all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Christ we have also obtained an inheritance, having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will, so that we, who were the first to set our hope 
was the moment of truth when Harry could have said no. But he doesn't. He orders a soldier of the guard to bring him John's head. Mark tells us Herod was deeply grieved, yet out of regard for his promises and for what the guests might think, he did not want to refuse her. It's absurd. Certainly gruesome. Possibly evil. Isn't that how it happens? How things get off track? In our own lives, right? When we start from a place of insecurity and fear, trying to impress people, wondering, am I good enough? Thin enough? Rich enough? Keeping my family happy, my boss happy? Am I getting promoted and driving the right car? Looking good all the time to everyone? If we live from a place of fear, if we make decisions and choices primarily to impress others or to bolster our own sense of power, the end results can be absurd and sad, and in extreme cases, even evil. I think this is true in our communal life as well. Here's a little story which strikes me as a perfect example of the absurd and death-dealing ends of a series of decisions which we just take for granted. Listen. We each, on average, consume 132 pounds of sugar every year. In 1900, it was 25 pounds. The incidence of obesity and diabetes and heart disease has skyrocketed in adults and children over this time period, and particularly since the early 1970s when high fructose corn syrup began to be added to everything, right? Now, scientists know that sugar is actually more addictive than cocaine. Doctors know that it's a primary factor in diseases, including some cancers. And yet, we continue not only to accept this, but to pay for it. We buy the food which has all this sugar added. It's absurd if you think about it. Maybe even evil. When will we say no? In the 1980s, in an effort to save money, many states decided to outsource prisons to private for-profit contractors. Now, our penal system was originally designed to protect society from the most violent offenders, and to rehabilitate lesser offenders so they could return to civilian life. This intent has been transformed into a $70 billion plus industry, with inmates working in many cases for extremely low wages, with corporate contracts that require the states to maintain 90% occupancy rates in order to guarantee the workforce. Joe Wiesenthal, a business insider, says, and this is where it gets really creepy. Because as an investor, you're actually pulling for scenarios where more people are put in jail. Absurd. Evil. And then there's the situation with gun control. Just yesterday, a two-year-old child shot himself with a loaded handgun his caregiver had left out on a table. When will we say no? 
I'm sure each one of us can think of too many examples of the way decisions and plans can somehow cascade into absurdity, injustice, evil, and death, even when the original intent was a good one. In Herod's case, it was his pride and his insecurity that led him to murder John the Baptist. I think. Mark most likely includes the whole story of John's murder at the hand of Herod as a sort of foreshadowing of Jesus' murder. The early listeners to this text would have heard it, particularly in the very last line. Remember that? When his disciples, John's disciples, right? When his disciples heard about it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. We can hear the echoes there of what will happen to Jesus. John comes first. John comes first in Mark's Gospel and points the way to Jesus. And here, John's violent death points to Jesus' impending violent death on the cross. But I think Mark also includes the whole gruesome story, not just for the foreshadowing aspect, but I think he includes the whole story to emphasize the brokenness of our human selves. The absurdity, the folly, the blindness, the fear that too often rule us. Our love of power and the ways we hurt others and even ourselves in order to grasp for it. What we know is that Jesus comes into this world, also our world, this world, with a different message. A message that Herod heard for a moment, we're told, but was too afraid to heed. Jesus tells us not to fear. He commands us to love. He commands us to treat each other with respect and love and to see the world through God's eyes and to work for justice and peace. Herod had a glimpse of this in his relationship and conversations with John. Mark tells us Herod knew John was a righteous and holy man. When he heard what John had to say, he was perplexed, but he liked to listen to him. So Herod's story is a cautionary tale. He listened to John, but he was too afraid to fully take in the message. I think that's true for us as well. We can listen to Jesus. And we may, I certainly am, we may be perplexed, perplexed by what he has to say to us, daunted and afraid of what it might mean to follow him. But he tells us over and over, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. The other little thing that's going on in this story that you don't see by just looking at the lectionary is that this story, Mark puts very deliberately, I think, between last week's story and what's coming up next week. If you remember, in last week's story, at the very end of the reading, we're told that Jesus sends the disciples out, two by two, not taking money, they're supposed to rely on the kindness of strangers, only taking one cloak, so no extra stuff, no backup material, just each other, and the power that Jesus invested in them to heal people and to cast out demons. So they were empowered, their power came from God. That's last week's story. Next week's story is that miraculous feeding of the 5,000. All sorts of food showed up, all sorts of community showed up, all of it by God's providence, not by anything that the disciples did. So I think that Mark puts Herod in between those two places where we have a different vision of power. God gives 
gives the power to the disciples to proclaim the message and to heal. God provides food and community and unexpected blessings in ways we cannot even imagine. That's the reality of the gospel. And Herod, like us, is caught in the middle, just wanting to look good and wanting to hold on to his own power. And the results of it are just so completely devastating and gruesome. Um, it's hard to listen to the story. But I think that's why it's in there. So what Jesus shows us, and what Herod had intimation of that he just couldn't get there, is that the grasping for power in our human lives is not the way of God. Rather, trust and humility, community and faith, those are the roads we are to follow. And those roads can be rough, and those journeys can be difficult, but we are promised that Jesus is always with us, showing us the way. He tells us, I am with you until the end of the age. He is with us, risen from the dead, living life eternal with us always. And his way is love. His way is justice and wholeness and shalom. And he meets us here at this table today, as he does every week, to strengthen us to live in his way, to walk with him, in the ways of justice and truth and love. May it be so. Jane, 
compassion on those who suffer from any grief or trouble. We pray for those who have died, especially Colleen. Give to the departed eternal rest. We praise you for your sake. 